0: Welcome to Black Hill. Dawn, late autumn. Colours burn against the hard black ground. Thin clouds etch the sky and become caught on the tree's naked fingers. 7 a.m., the lodge house. He stirs when he hears Fuchsia's heavy-booted steps descending from the attic and past his door. He tries to open his eyes, but they seem to be stuck together. In the same way, his arm, when he attempts to raise it, seems lightly glued to the floor. It's all tacky, like jam, but sore. Sore from bleeding. And so he wakes to the full pain, pushing in on him in throbbing waves on a hangover tide. Fuchsia's voice from the other side of the door. "'You are coming with me to the tower today, yes. That was the plan, and it still is, and so it will be, yes.' He remains dedicated to her, and would not do anything that would allow her to disappear back into the smelly yellow pages of a crumbling book on a forgotten shelf. Five minutes, he calls out. His tongue is bitter raw and swollen, but she'll get the meaning and the sense of what he said. 10am, the Mill House. The grave paintings, those that weren't sold long ago, are laid out on the floor against the chairs and the table legs, in front of the kitchen window against the back of the door. He hands her a glass of water as she continues to stare at them. There's no mistaking it, he says, it's the same hole. She wants to argue with him, not because she doesn't believe him, she does but because she cannot conceive of a strategy that would send him away and allow her to sink further into the consequence of the moment alone. There is something in the detail of the lip of the grave in three particular paintings, four sticks laid parallel in the grass, two full length, one broken in half. She needs to consider this, and the only way to consider it is to descend through a period of solitude. The work was devised in silence. Like all work, the process had begun with some manifestation of intent, but only became pure when it left her hands, like some repaired animal, and took its own course into the thickets. Her role from that point on was to follow where the work led, and to be passive and courageous. Too often, the process is viewed as one way. The artist goes in, the artist uncovers true work hidden, the artist returns with a compelling vision and renders it accordingly. But she knows that when the artist goes in, the artist may find something in there not of her own making something unwelcome, something that will pursue her back into the world. So care must be taken in crossing any threshold. Do not imagine that yours is the only narrative and that you are alone in your agency. Like a dilettante murmuring before black glass, your sense of this being a dramatic game of your own conjuring could become brutally challenged. Noon, the high cottage before Black Hill. She returns to the open grave with a long-handled rake and a shovel. The day is bright, though she notes thin curls of mist playfully caressing the high shoulder of the hill. So whilst bright, the air feels damp and her body remains on the edge of shivering as she approaches the lip of the hole. Of course the wasps are going to get angry and attack her. She knows this, just as she knows that she must do it. The only thing that remains unclear to her is why. The rake hits the upper curve of the convoluted form and the nest immediately crumbles to fine powder. It is desiccated, parched, like it has been laid out in a windless desert for millennia. A gasp, a sigh, and a cloud of wasps turning in a thick, roiling, dark murmuration rises like oil to the surface of the grave. But it does not spill over the edge or rise to her hand still gripping the handle of the rake. She stares enraptured by the seething, thrumming spectacle. Behind her, back across the marsh, Over the picket fence and into the coop, the tapping from within an egg, cosy under an expectant hen, becomes more committed. The hen stirs, feeling the heat grow from under her belly. The egg cracks. A sound midway between a cry and a tinnitus whistle stirs her feathers. The coop fills with a fine orange mist and a reek of spoiled milk. The comb on the hen's head changes in a second from engorged red to a sickly grey. A second later and she has expired and emptied her warm entrails onto the crown of the breaking egg and its dismal contents. 1pm, Lennox Tower Fuchsia sits in the high arch in the ruined tower, Three crows perch on the ivy spilling in through the window hole by her side. He looks up at her, waits for her to turn to her birds, and spits blood while she faces the other way. At some point along the walk, he managed with concentration to translate the stinging pain left by the obsidian cuts on his skin to scream in harmony, a kind of symphonic corporeal overture that marked his body as the border between something abused and something born the membrane between the creation and the spoiled she leads her little play and the birds play their parts the doting nanny the spiteful suitor the third bird hops from its perch and swoops down towards him in a tattered flurry of rag feathers and from the ground peers up at him with an accusing red eye "'You know what you've done, don't you?' the bird asks. Then, as though gagging, lifts its head back and puffs out its throat and gurgles, spits and moves its breath around until it finds the sound it is seeking, the thrum of an insect swarm. Fuchsia glares furiously as the swarming noise grows in volume and anger. "'No!' she stamps her foot." and as some loose masonry tumbles down, the crow hacks loudly and dissolves entirely into soot. He can remember enough to realise that whatever he found on the other side of the glass has come through. It is he himself who is the painting. He is standing, sore and cut, spitting blood and fighting the nauseating sense of a coming blackout in the midst of a painted landscape. He's conceived by a monstrous presence on the other side of the blackest glass. And there is nothing, he thinks as he looks at the sullen, pouting child in her furiously red dress. Nothing that he can do to put it right. 2.15 in the afternoon by the slow river. The carny men smoulder in the caravan doorways half-hidden in their self-made shadows as the police appear in greater numbers and begin to tape off key areas. The old railway path, the river's edge, the old mill gateposts. Dead goldfish are tipped from polythene bags into the river, where they tumble into dark water to rest among the greasy stones, the little shoes. The police have brought their dogs but the animals grow quickly hysterical and try to rip at their own muzzles with terrified forepaws. They turn in circles trying to evade the biting stench and yelp to be returned to the safety of the cages. The handler shares the fear, but the uniform forbids any display of doubt. He meets the stare of one of the carny boys. The handler is a local boy, third generation in the force and knows the show people well knows that they are descended from the quarry men who long ago gouged a wound into the flank of black hill the carny man brews deeper shadow around his face until all that can be seen is the phosphor glint in an eye Three thirty in the afternoon out back of gamekeeper's cottage he swears he sees a tremor in the ground Tremor like a startled rabbit. He drops to his knees, and closing his hand into a fist, thrusts his forearm into the sod. When he pulls his hand free, he is clutching a key. A tess rose taps at the glass. A wasp scratches wood, looking for Murray, looking for Findlay. And a studio of collapsed works, splintered easels, acid-eroded canvas, crushed tubes of paints trodden into floorboards, the word no smeared onto canvases, the walls, the glass of the window looking out on Black Hill, the breathing hill, the hill that seems to want to open its gaping maw and consume him every time he turns his back. He takes the key back into the studio and cleans it down with a rag. Side by side on the table, lying parallel to a scalpel blade. It looks like a compelling composition. Who, he wonders, removed the thorns from the rose stems. 4pm. The sun is sinking. The water from the reservoir is almost completely gone. A figure on horseback watches the curious distant effect of flashing blue lights in the trees far below. This is the midwife. The saddlebags are wasp nests. The saddle itself is worn and patched with Bible covers. And as the gloaming begins to settle and the hill begins to breathe, the rider surveys the immediate landscape and sees a thin light, like misplaced dawn, arise from each grave. At 6pm, it gets dark. 外屋 oh.